We pray that your Holy Spirit will open our minds, open our eyes, open our ears so that we can see, we can hear what you are saying to us in your word. And I pray, Father, that you will just help this to take root and not only that, but to develop fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read through this and then we'll come back and... Luke 7, verses 18 through 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is, it, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. So today what we're going to be discussing is we're going to be discussing expectations, what happens when we have unmet expectations? And so we begin in verse 18, whenever he says, The disciples of John reported all of these things to him. Now, we know that last week Dennis taught us how Jesus healed the centurion, the centurion's son, and raised the widow's son from the dead. And the popularity of Jesus is beginning to swell, right? And so... After Jesus is doing a lot of these things, John is sending out disciples to see 
what he's doing to, to report back to him. Because where is John right now? That's right, he's in prison. Why is he in prison? What? Because of Herod. What did Herod do? That's right, okay. And so John confronted him about it. And as a result, Herod didn't like that very much. And so Herod throws him in prison. So John's in prison. He's sending his disciples out to, to listen to what Jesus is saying, to see what Jesus is doing, all of the miracles that he's done, and things such as this. And so in verse 18, it says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. So we ask the question, why would John doubt whether or not Jesus was the one to come? Right? You would think that after these reports that the disciples are bringing back to John, that he would really have no doubt whether or not Jesus was the one to come. But John was having his doubts. But what we see here, again, is the real-life humanity of John the Baptist. Like the rest of us, John has certain expectations of who the Messiah was and what he would do. Back in chapter 3, when John baptized Jesus, he witnessed the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descend on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice that came from heaven that said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. It would seem that would be enough for John, right? But then we also see in John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, this is another um, account of his encounter with Jesus. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, listen to what John says. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. I mean, that's a pretty strong declaration, don't you think? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have borne witness, listen to this, that this is the Son of God. So it should be pretty surprising to us, and as well as many people in the crowds who have been baptized by John, who witnessed this account, that John would have doubts. Wouldn't you think so? So how can someone with this kind of confirmation still doubt whether or not Jesus was the Messiah? Now, again, we must, we've got to understand the expectations of the people during this time and what they believed about the coming Messiah. We have two veins of prophecy in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. 
One, of course, is that he was the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, he, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. But the other vein of prophecy in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah is that he would be a conquering king who would come and defeat Rome, who was ruling over this whole region and return Israel as a sovereign nation. This is what they thought, anyway, that the prophecies said. And that the Messiah would rule all the nations. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, it says this, And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So they believed that he would be a king that would come he would be a conquering king that would come and defeat Rome, and Israel once again would be a sovereign nation. But see, at first their expectations seemed to be met with Jesus because he came, he was a miracle worker. He had authority over demons. He had the authority over disease, and he had authority even over death. He was a teacher with vast amounts of wisdom and understanding. He spoke of the kingdom, right? He came preaching the kingdom. And so the hopes of the Jews were climbing higher and higher. And they even heralded him as their Messiah as he entered Jerusalem on a colt. And we see that prophesied in Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. From the river to the ends of the earth. This is what the Jews expected of the Messiah. To come and have a physical rule that would be from sea to sea. From the river to the ends of the earth. So you can imagine their shock and disappointment. When Jesus not only was teaching that he would be crucified. But the fact that he was crucified. You can imagine that they were just blown away because their expectations were something different than what the reality was. Eventually, the Jewish leaders tried to, they tried to find fault in Jesus because he was no longer meeting their expectations. And, and, and again, like we said, the shock of the followers when he was crucified and even his own, his own disciples were dejected whenever he was crucified. They went back to doing what they were doing before he came. And 
when Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection, they were shocked. They couldn't believe it, even though he had told them what was going to take place. But you know what they asked him? Now, are you going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? So while it's easy to question whether why, why John may have had doubts during this time, he was actually in pretty good company <laughs> because there were many other people who also had false expectations of what the Messiah was going to be. So imagine John sitting in prison, asking himself this question. Now remember, John knows the Old Testament prophecies. He knows what they said about the coming Messiah. And he had certain expectations based upon his understanding of these prophecies. And so he, he's, he's asking himself, if Jesus is truly the Messiah, then according to Isaiah 61, he was supposed to proclaim liberty to the captive, captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And so it's, it's easy for us to speculate. It could be that John was wondering if Jesus is truly the Messiah and he's out doing all of these things that the Messiah is supposed to do, why am I still in prison? Why am I still here? It's because John had certain expectations that he felt were not being met. So when John sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the one they should be looking for, Jesus responded by healing many people with diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And he caused the blind to see. Then he told him to go tell John what they've seen and heard. That the blind see, that the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is quoting here, he's, he's quoting some Old Testament prophecies, primarily from Isaiah chapter 35 and Isaiah chapter 61. But notice that he doesn't say anything from Isaiah 61 that says about setting the captives free. He does mention it, though, back in a few chapters earlier in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So he did mention this back in chapter 4, but he doesn't mention it here. And so if we were to speculate why John was doubting, it would likely be because uh, it's what John was expected. John was expecting to be released from prison. But we know now that that's not what Jesus meant when he was talking about setting the captives free. We know that he's talking about those who have been captive by sin. Romans 7, 6 says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, 
so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So while we may know, we can look back and we know why Jesus came to set the captives free. We know what that meant. It meant the captives of sin. John likely had different expectations. But then Jesus goes on to confront the expectations of the crowd. Let's let's look in verses 24 through 30. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The first thing we notice here is that Jesus does not rebuke John for his doubt. You notice that? He doesn't come out and say, John, 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 right? When y'all were little, did your parents call you by your middle name? I knew when my mom said, Ted Allen, I knew I was in trouble. So I imagine he's going, John Thee. <laughs> Sorry, that was a stupid joke. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <laughs> yeah, that's his middle name is Thee, okay, so. <laughs> Basically, Jesus is asking the crowds this. He said, what did you expect? What were your expectations when you went out in the wilderness to see John? He knew that the the crowds may have begun to doubt John's strength as well as his faith. And so Jesus asked these questions. He says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Basically, he's talking about someone who is not firm in his stance or his beliefs. Someone who could be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Then he asks, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? This would be someone who's not, um, basically, um, who it would indicate who is someone who is soft and spoiled. But John definitely wasn't either of these, was he? I mean, John was a mountain man. He lived in the wilderness. He ate locusts and wild honey. Have y'all seen a locust? We have a lot of locusts around here. How many of you would say, hmm, that looks good. I think I'll have one of those. I mean, <laughs> to me, that's disgusting. But I don't know. But, but John was a tough guy. He had a coat made of camel's hair. He was rugged. He was strong. 
He was unwavering. He got in the face of everyone and told them that they needed to repent and be baptized. He did that without fear. And so Jesus said, what did you expect to see when you went out in the wilderness? Did you expect to see someone soft? Did you expect to see someone who was wavering? Then he says, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. What Jesus is doing here is he's reminding the crowd of who John the Baptist really is. First of all, he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. He is the last prophet of the Old Covenant. As a matter of fact, he was the only prophet in the Bible who even had prophecies written about him, saying that one would come that would be the crying out in the wilderness. And Jesus said that there is no one greater than John who has ever been born of women, that is, until now. As Jesus was ushering in the new covenant, he was fulfilling the old covenant. Jesus also told them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, Jesus, Jesus is setting up his kingdom that would be established as soon as he was crucified and resurrected from the dead. His kingdom is here and now. He is reigning right now. So why would Jesus say that the least in the kingdom is greater than John? It's because we, as those of us who are in the new covenant, under the new covenant, in Christ, we have some advantages that John did not have. According to Hebrews, we are part of something now that is superior to the Old Covenant. As a matter of fact, the theme of, hero, of Hebrews is the superiority of Christ. And while John and the prophets of the Old Covenant were pointing to the Messiah that was to come, those who would be in the kingdom look back at the fulfilled prophecies and the Messiah that is risen. John and the prophets had the written law, but we have the law written on our hearts. It's not that anyone who is in the kingdom is greater person than John was necessarily. It's just that they have advantages and understanding that the Old Testament prophets did not have. And the primary reason is because God has written it on our hearts. Then in verses 31 through 35, it says this. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For the John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, 
a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. So what in the world is Jesus talking about here? He's still talking about expectations. That's still what he's talking about. He compares that generation to children who played the flute and sang a dirge but did not get the response that they expected. Jesus goes on to say that John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. But the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. John the Baptist was not what they were expecting from a prophet, and Jesus was definitely not what they were expecting as a Messiah. But then Jesus said, yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. This basically means this, that true wisdom will produce fruit. In other words, the wise man is proved to be wise by his wise actions. And that's what he's referring to when he says, wisdom is justified by her children. They are the result of wisdom. So what happens when our expectations are not met. One doctor said this, when expectations are not met, it can lead to feelings of disappointment, frustration, and even anger. In some cases, people might become so attached to their expectations that they're unable to see the reality of a situation. Isn't this what's going on right here in this passage? The Jews have become so attached to their expectations that they can't see the reality of the situation here. Jesus really is the Messiah. The one who is to come. And that John the Baptist really is the one crying out in the wilderness. Yet because they were so attached to their expectations, their false expectations on partial understanding of of Scripture, that they missed it. What about us? What are our expectations of God? What are our expectations of what the Messiah is supposed to be? Who He is? Have you ever expected something from God that never took place? I have. And if we're all honest with, us, with ourselves, I'm going to say we all have, right? What about those people who teach that if you have, if you just had enough faith, if you just had enough faith, you could be healed? Because that's what their expectation is based upon their partial understanding of what Scripture says. When I was pastoring a church, we had a, a man who was a strong leader in our church, a godly man. But his daughter had married someone of a different denomination who was more of the name-it-claim-it type stuff, right? He was diagnosed with cancer, and he was dying. And I would go visit with him, and his daughter and son-in-law would be there telling him, you're dying because you don't have enough faith. 
This, you know how heartbreaking this was for me? I wanted to get in their face so bad, you know, and tell them how wrong they were. But they continued to the, to the time I was there when he took his last breath and they were relentless saying, if you only had enough faith, you could be healed. But he died. What did this do to their expectations? What about those people who teach you that God wants you to be rich and prosperous? And those who follow those kind of people, they believe this. Yet it doesn't happen. What happens to them and their expectations when they're not met based upon their misunderstanding of Scripture? Imagine the frustration of people like this with these kinds of th- who expect these kinds of things from God only to be disappointed. But Jesus came for something so much greater than the here and now. We're going to finish way early, Joel. Sorry about that. But he came for something so much greater than the here and now. The here and now is nothing but a mist, a vapor. The older I get, the faster time goes. And most of you in here are too young to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Don't you? I'm a grandfather now. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm too young to be a grandfather. I feel too Well, no, I feel pretty old sometimes. But <laughs> this life is so fast. It goes by so fast. I mean, how many of you cannot believe how old your children are now? How fast they grew up, just like that. But the here and now is just, a, it's a vapor. It's passing. And Jesus came not to deliver us from our present circumstances. But he came to deliver us from the eternal wrath of God. And to give us an inheritance that can never fade or waste away. You see, our problem is, many times, our expectations are too small. If we have expectations of the Messiah to to be all that we need for this life in the here and now, and that he's going to deliver us from our present circumstances like the Jews thought that Jesus was going to come and deliver them from the oppression of the Romans and establish Israel as a sovereign nation again. We have expectations too sometimes. But we put them on a temporary basis, on things that are not eternal. They're just temporal. But Jesus came for something so much greater than that, something so much bigger. And so our expectations can be way, way too small. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's where our expectations should be, on the eternal. Let's pray.
Father, we know that our expectations should come from your word in its entirety. In the context as a whole in scripture and not just parts. I pray, Father, that you'll give us a greater understanding of the majesty of what you have prepared for us, the greatness of what you have done for us. And that we can expect something far greater than just an easy life, no health problems, money more than we can spend, because we know that these things are passing. Help us to look beyond that to what you really came for. And that is for our eternal salvation. And we praise you for that, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.